Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. We are continuing our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Luke, and today we are in chapter 21 of Luke, and it's part one of Jesus' teaching on the end times. Luke chapter 21 is Jesus' extended teaching on the end times. And you may or may not know that I have a companion broadcast and podcast entitled Luke 21. And that broadcast is titled after the topic of today's radio episode, as well as our next episode. This is parts one and two. Why is that? Luke 21 is really critical for understanding Jesus's teaching on the end times. But I'm going to reverse things today, because usually I start with an interpretation of the text and then move to application. And today we're going to begin with application because I think it's a fair question. What in the world does biblical prophecy have to do with family life? Well, it has a lot to do with family life, especially the spiritual formation of youth. And that's one of our major themes in the 2020s in Faith and Family Radio is the spiritual formation of youth that is strong enough and dynamic enough to enable them to persevere faithfully as young Catholics. But I'd like to begin our application with an illustration from C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, which was the uh, fictional account that Lewis had where he has a senior demon writing a flunky demon by the name of Screwtape, how to throw Christians off balance. And very comically, C.S. Lewis has this man trying to get on a horse, a Christian man. And as hard as he tries, the demon's job is to prevent him from getting on a horse. It's like somebody had a hold of your belt and, you know, you need a little a kind of oomph to get up on a horse and just can't do it. And the senior demon tells Screwtape, well, look, if this Christian man is is just bound and determined to get on that horse, well, just let him go, but make sure he goes all the way over to the other side and falls on the ground. What does C.S. Lewis's horse have to do with Jesus' teaching on the end times and the family application of that is I'd like to just speak to myself. It's one of the reasons I, I was kind of that guy who get couldn't get on the horse, and then when I finally was bound and determined to get on the horse, I went way over on the other side. I grew up in a mainline Protestant denomination, and very frequently we would recite the Apostles' Creed. But unfortunately, I did it without a corresponding, what I call, faith reality about a certain phrase that is relevant to teaching on the end times. I would confess, as a boy and a young teen, he will come again 
to judge the living and the dead. You see, I never got on the horse regarding this phrase of the Apostles' Creed, he will come again. It never struck me as anything real or relevant. It was simply something I recited without much thinking about it, and I'm fearful, hear me, I'm fearful that this might be a too frequent common occurrence in Catholic experience today. Saying the creed, but not having a faith awareness, not having a faith reality attached to this truth. Well, lo and behold, after a a young adult conversion experience, I ended up out in the west coast of the United States in a large church that, so to speak, specialized in teaching on biblical prophecy, and I had never encountered before who people actually took to creed seriously. In fact, this was a very um, kind of a low church. They didn't have creeds to cite, but they sure did believe in the second coming. And so I was that guy who couldn't get on the horse in my mainline denomination. And now in this large Southern California church teaching about the rapture at any moment and such, I went flying over to the other side. So here's what's needed. It's a balanced, burning reality, okay? By balanced, I mean you're able to get on a horse and don't do like I did, whereas just it just practically meant nothing uh, when I was reciting the creed. And then just in my Southern California experience, went way overboard and fell for some very sensational claims. But I was so struck by the reality that here's people who actually think Christ will come again, it's, and they're living their lives in light of this. So a balanced reality, and then also, and hear this, I don't know a better way to express it than, say, a burning reality. Teachers, preachers, catechists, yeah, broadcasters, we don't need sensational predictions. That's not what I mean by a burning reality. We don't need date setting. I don't mean that by a burning reality, but a contagious faith reality in the second coming and all the events preceding it. It's, it's, a, it's a truth that grips those who are teaching others and proclaiming to others the reality that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Now, Who would be a perfect example of this balanced, burning reality? Well, I dare say that St. John Paul II is that person in my mind, and I'm going to be sharing with you in just a couple of moments a quotation from him that probably you've never heard before. I had to do quite a bit of digging to come across this, but he would be my exhibit. And so in today's broadcast, uh, pay particular attention when we get to St. John Paul II. But before we get there, I need to mention that in our century and here in the 2020s, we're living in a civil an ecclesiastical parental nightmare. What do I mean by that? Well, the ecclesiastical nightmare is all these lawsuits and abuse crisis and abuse cover-ups that's going through 
right now the Catholic Church and other groups as well, and it's rocking the church perhaps like it hasn't been rocked in centuries. And then on top of that, we're living in a culture that you can't keep up with the speed of the degenerate uh, direction it seems to be going. You know, St. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, but understand this, in the last days, there will come times of stress. Now, in the New Testament, when you mention the last days, the last days is that entire period from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. In other words, all before the preceding days was the Old Testament era. But now, in the time of the church, between Christ's first and second coming are the last days. But what Paul is about to describe here in 2 Timothy 3 for the entire last days, and perhaps with particular emphasis in the first century and as we approach the final end of the last days, there's going to be an intensification of what he mentions. And here's what he says. For men will be lovers of self. Boy, I can't tell you how accurate a description that is of our modern culture, of our advertising industries, of our appeal of everything. It's you and making you and what you want, what you will, what you desire, the center of everything. And he says also, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, inhuman, slanderers, haters of good, swollen with conceit. And here's Here's a very apt description of our day. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God and holding the form of religion but denying the power of it. See, that's a very (laughs) much better description of me when I was in my mainstream Protestant days and uh, never managed to get in a balanced way on that horse. Uh, I, I was holding the form of religion, but the power of it, the reality of it, the life-changing aspect of it was gone. And that's not Christianity. Uh, we want to hold not only the form of religion, but we want to have the power of it grip us. So what should a parent do as we progress through this final period of the last days. We don't know. We're in the last days. We don't know how long this will go on. But here is a recommendation I've given you a couple of times uh, in 2019, and I repeat it. Parents, teach your children a Christian worldview. And when I say parents, you need to hear that you can't assume that a youth retreat, a youth group, or maybe even a Catholic school will be self-consciously teaching a Christian worldview. And that key section of the Catechism of the Catholic Church that I keep referring to for worldview is section 282, which says, where do we come from? Where are we going? What's our origin? What's our end? 
These two questions, the first about the origin and the second about the end, are inseparable. They are decisive for the meaning and orientation of our life and actions. And I've shared with you before, but I don't think it's getting quite through yet, that a Christian world's view has more of an effect on a young person's moral behavior than moralistic teaching. Did you hear that? If you really want to teach morals, you teach worldview. It has the greatest impact. And so to get the worldview, and and I shared with you in a series that we had about 10 aspects of teaching a worldview, but the two critical ones are the beginning and the end. And today we're talking about the end. So young people need to know about the end. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus' teaching on the end times is found in three principal places, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. And they're very similar in many ways, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, except Luke 21 has an aspect to it that Mark and Matthew don't include. And in the next episode, we're going to find out what this extremely important aspect that Luke includes can help us understand somewhat the puzzle of Jesus' teaching on the end times. Now, not to discourage you, but I want to set up the, the difficulty that many have in understanding these passages where Jesus teaches on the end times, like Luke 21. Pope Benedict XVI, obviously an exceptionally talented theologian and scripture scholar, said this in his book, Jesus of Nazareth, quote, this discourse, discourse meaning a teaching section of the Gospels, could perhaps be described as the most difficult text in the whole of the Gospels. So we're taking a couple weeks here uh, to go through this passage, but here's why it's so difficult. Number one, Jesus in Luke 21 is prophesying around 30 AD, roughly, about historical events that would occur in 70 AD, okay? In other words, he's prophesying about events in a biblical generation about 40 years into the future. And in Luke 21, um, they were in the temple, and it says, as some spoke of the temple and how beautiful it was and everything, he says, as for these things which you see, the temple, the days will come when there shall not be left here one stone upon another. And they ask him, teacher, when will this be? What will be the sign that this is about to take place? And Jesus goes on with a lot of other warnings that persecution would come and a lot of other troubles. Jesus, in this first part of Luke 21, is talking about the destruction of the temple, which did occur when the Romans conquered Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, just as Jesus was warning about in, well, I'd say the first half of Luke 21. Now, a lot of the so-called uh, televangelist uh, prophecy experts on TV, when they look at a passage like this, they look all in the future. Oh, this is prophetic teaching, and it is, but they look to the future from the 
time that they're broadcasting, not from the time that Jesus is teaching. And they kind of overlook this. And there's a lot of Bible teachers, Catholics included, who see this air, and it's an air as big as a Mack truck, but they assume that's all that Jesus is talking about in this chapter. In other words, he's prophesying something that would happen in 70 AD and say, well, this whole chapter is very inspirational and pious and all that type of thing, but it's all history. That's not the case because the second half of Luke 21 is referring to future events about the end of the end times. In other words, the times preceding Jesus's second coming. But here's where it gets difficult, and this is why Pope Benedict said this could be perhaps the most difficult text in the whole of the Gospels. But I'm following Pope Benedict, St. Augustine, Catechism and Catholic Church. This isn't anything novel that I cooked up late at night, okay? Part A, the first half of Luke 21, is referring to prophecies about 70 AD. Part 2, the second half of the chapter in Luke 21, is referring to the end times before the second coming, but it uses very similar language that Jesus used to describe the fall of Jerusalem. And this is where it trips so many people up. So why are the two fulfillments, the two different things that Jesus is teaching about in almost identical terms, why, why use the same terms? Well, the Navarre Bible, a, a good Catholic Study Bible says this, quote, in the Jewish mind, the destruction of Jerusalem coincided with the end of the world. Jesus uses the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem as a sign or a symbol of the catastrophes which will mark the end of the world, unquote. This is from the New International Greek Testament Commentary, don't worry, this is all going to be in English. Quote, there is a parallel between the signs before the fall of Jerusalem and before the end, unquote. So you have two prophecies, really, but they're interconnected. They're, they're, the sign of Jerusalem and the temple is used as a sign as well for the end. Now, as I mentioned earlier, many Catholic theologians and apologists and whatever um, rightly react to the TV uh, prophecy experts who take everything in passages like Luke 21, as well as Mark 13 and Matthew 24, as something future and overlook the historical reality that we're staring at. Okay? It's, it's a historical reality that uh, the Romans conquered Jerusalem. There's some fairly decent YouTubes of uh, the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans. Uh, I think it was done by the History Channel. You can kind of see a, an example of what this is talking about. And so they're reacting against those who are futuristic. Okay, But I'm saying there is both 70 A.D., and futuristic teaching here, and it's a big mistake to kind of cut off the future, and yet many Catholic so-called experts 
including my friends on Catholic radio, are saying, don't worry about anything. This is all past. Well, here's something. I want to kind of go back for a second. Remember, worldview has a greater influence in the morality of young people than actually the direct teaching of morality to them. And worldview's foundations are having a real clear picture of where you come from and where you're going and how is this whole thing going to end up. And right now, we're having a divide. Uh, There should be a divide, at least I say. Our culture is degenerating. And we need to be careful for ourselves, and then we train our children how to grow up in such a circumstance. Now, for all of those who think that uh, Luke 21 only talks about the past, uh, I'm going to throw a hand grenade in the middle of that thought. Okay, It is about the past, and it is also about the future. I want to take you and listen very, very carefully, because this may be the only time in your life you've heard this quote. Um, I had a dig, uh, and dig, 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 and then make sure that I was hearing this right, but it's an important homily preached by St. John Paul II. He wasn't actually St. John Paul II. He wasn't even Pope John Paul II. He was still a cardinal. He was preaching this in 1974. It was four years before he became Pope. And the text for that day was Luke 21. And here's what he said, quote, the moment which we are living and in which we must know is maybe very similar to the moment described in today's gospel reading, Luke 21. So, to give rise to much reflection, some of it deeply pessimistic and fearful of catastrophe, unquote. The moment which we are living, he quotes Luke 21, verses 25 through 23, as referring to our day, uh, right? This was 1974, and this is why you don't set dates, because, you know, for God, 50, 75, 200 years is like a nanosecond, so, you know, you don't get wound up in this stuff. But this is that passage he was preaching over. It's from Luke 21, starting in verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and upon the earth, distress of nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. See, this this is what I didn't get. This is the horse that I couldn't get on. Then I would confess he will come again to judge the living and dead, his second coming, Luke 21, 25, and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, look up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And John Paul II said, this could be the moment which we are living. So Jesus goes on in Luke 21, He told him a parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leave, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. 
So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away till all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And to that text, that gospel text from Luke 21, after, after it was read in Mass in 1974, John Paul II said, the moment which we are living is maybe very similar to the moment described in today's gospel reading. And that reading again was Luke 21, verses 25 through 33. You know, not too long after, in fact, only a couple years after, it was on November 9th, 7. 1976. The reason I almost said 1776, because the reason he was here was to help with the celebrations of the Bicentennial of the United States of America. And while he was here, he had a, at the time, very unnoticed proclamation that goes right along with what he had said in 1974 regarding Luke 21 there. He said this, We are now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation humanity has gone through. I do not think that wide circles of American society or wide circles of the Christian community realize this fully. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church of the gospel versus the anti-gospel. John Paul II, November 9th. 1796. So you see, (laughs) Luke 21 and the Apostles' Creed about him coming again is not something just to be recited and not even really thought much about. No, it's to guide us to realize that this world as we know it is coming to an end. There's a new world coming, but this one is going to come to a very terrifying, stark end for those who don't know the Lord of history, Jesus Christ. And this is the type of thing, like, uh, I mean, when's the last time you heard during Advent uh, a quotation of this final confrontation from John Paul II or his comments on Luke 21? These are the type of things that wake you up, that give you what I was trying to describe as that that balanced, burning reality. You know, in Luke 21 Radio, as well as for Faith and Family Radio, we've prepared some business cards that basically you can share with your friends about both of these broadcast and podcast. And in fact, the Luke 21 card has that quote I just gave you from John Paul II. If you would like some of those cards, just send an email to askthehost at gmail.com and Say, hey, send me 20 cards, 50 cards, 100 cards, whatever. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 267 of Faith and Family Radio.